Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Uh, the agenda for this particular episode, what do we got? We got a preview! UFC on ESPN Plus 89. The UFC is back in Sao Paulo for the first time since 2019. The before times, as we occasionally call it. Uh... <laughs> So we'll preview that card. It's, you know, I, I did a brief little, like, what's on this card last week. There's some stuff here. For a fight night, there's some stuff. Then we got news. Boy, do we have news. Um, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about the boxing bout between Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou that went down on Saturday. Then, yeah, we got news. UFC 295 has been upended. Uh few other things that's the big one there's a few other smaller things that we'll touch on depending on how i feel by the time we get there and you already know how long this episode is i don't i'm a little over a minute into recording it so we'll find out um you also have the chapter timestamps, of course so if any of this doesn't interest you feel free to skip around i completely understand all right, if uh, you could, please interact with the product a little bit, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. If you've done any and all of that, please share. Your social media platform of choice, your friend circle of choice, a billboard you'd like to take out. I... There are billboards still out there. Yeah, there are. Okay, had to double check that. I mean, there are plenty where I live. I don't know about where everyone else lives, but... Yeah, there's plenty in Nevada, plenty in California. Yeah. I'm not I'm not asking for you to take out a billboard, okay? I'm joking. But whatever you want to do to help other people know about the show, it helps. It feeds the algorithm. It might draw new people to the show, whatever. Um, to anyone who might be newer here, thank you. Appreciate you joining. Anytime I reference things that I've talked about in the past, I try to... I do this every week, so I can't exactly go through and say, hey, an episode number blah, blah, blah. And some of the stuff I've done is on a different podcast feed because ownership of this one changed hands a while ago. It doesn't matter. Point being, if you're newer here, I try to reference when I've talked about things in the past, so you know I've established a position on them rather than going into detail. And if I can reference an episode or an event in particular that is relevant to that, I do so. Uh, that's what I can do for some of the, the newer people here. Thank you. Appreciate the heck out of all of you. A lot of podcasts out there, a lot of places you can go for MMA-related content. I am very glad you chose me. So, thank you as always. Uh, I think that's it. So, let's get into the preview, shall we? UFC on ESPN Plus 89. I mentioned already, back in Sao Paulo. Um, main event. Heavyweights. There are two heavyweight fights on the main card. This is mean. Um, jeez, two middleweights. Yeah, you know, you know what they're doing here. I, I have to call a spade a spade. And their first time in Sao Paulo. It's not their first time in Brazil since the pandemic, but because uh, they went to Rio a little bit ago. But. They're trying to make up for some. They're trying to make up for some lost time. So we've got a lot of Brazilian versus foreigner. If you've watched a lot of Brazilian MMA, Brazil's appreciation for MMA is almost an extension of their nationalism. 
rather than a love of the sport for its own sake. They, it's not that they hate random fights between non-Brazilians, but the fervor gets up when it's a Brazilian against a non-Brazilian, and you know, the UFC is not above stoking those particular fires on occasion. Most promoters aren't. So that's kind of what we're looking at here, sort of up and down the card. Main event, heavyweight, already mentioned, uh, Jailton Almeida and Derek Lewis. I don't know what to feel about this one. You see, Jailton Almeida is pretty darn good. He's not perfect, but he's pretty darn good. He also starts every fight the same way. He comes out, he throws a front kick, then he tries a low double leg. And it's worked for him so far. Um, he's 19-2. How long has he been he lost? He hasn't lost since 2018, and a lot of fights. Jeez, how many is that? 14? Uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 14. Um... The last five of those have been in the UFC. Oh, he's just about done with his Contender Series contract. Good for him. Get off that 12-12 and 12 deal. Actually, he came in in 2020. That might have been 10-10. and 10. Um, He's moved a little bit between light heavyweight and heavyweight. He settled into heavyweight. He's finished all of his opponents. He's taken a big step up here. Um, he's... He's taken steps up his last couple of times, uh, both Shamir Abdurakhimov and then Jarzinho Rosenstroik. Decent steps up from where he was, because of you know, Danilo Marquez, Parker Porter, and Anton, Anton Turkali. He's been moving up the chain of the, up the food. <sighs> food chain. Up the food chain or ladder. Jeez, I got my metaphors mixed up, mixed up there. And Derek Lewis does represent the best opponent he's fought. Uh, Lewis is 38. He'll be 39 fairly soon. He just broke a three-fight losing streak by stopping Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Um, he, he got a little bit lucky there. Well, I shouldn't say lucky. Uh, that... that that doesn't quite do him justice. I, He needed that win, and there's ways in which DeLima was a problem for him. He kind of seemed to know that, and he knew they were, they were... That was in Salt Lake. It was UFC 291. So Altitude's like, nah, I got 40 seconds in me. Let me throw everything at but the kitchen sink at this guy. Lewis has had a pretty decent track record of dealing with a lot of jiu-jitsu guys. Not all of them, though. And Almeida's pretty solid on top. The take to, This is all about whether or not Almeida can take Lewis down. Once he gets him there, some of Lewis's get-ups, they work on guys who have certain understandings of position in jiu-jitsu. Um, years ago, he was supposed to fight... Uh, am I blanking on his name? Fabricio Verdum. Found it. And I I knew that was going to go badly for him because his get up from the bottom, if especially if you're in like side control, he exposes his back. You have to be ready for it to take advantage of this, 
And he actually does a pretty good, generally he does a pretty good uh, job of getting a stiff arm to post and try and prevent that, but Verdum is a master at either attacking that arm or again slipping to the back. And that's kind of what I thought would happen with that matchup. So if Almeida can get him down, he should be able to transition when Lewis tries to regain his feet. On the feet, Lewis hits really, really hard. He's not the easiest guy in the world to take down, but it is possible. Um, did Lewis take this fight? Did, was there someone who took this fight on short notice? Yeah, this was supposed to be between Almeida and Blades. Um, so somewhat shorter notice for Derek Lewis. It's not like super short, but shorter. By the slimmest of margins, I'm going to lean towards Almeida. And I don't know how good I feel about that. Um, Almeida's been a bit skittish on the feet at times. And that can be a real bad thing to do against Derek Lewis. I'm not going to be surprised one bit if Lewis knocks him out. Not one bit. The bigger cage actually favors Lewis. If this were at the apex, if this were in the smaller cage, that would help Almeida considerably. Um, again, I'm still going to lean there, but this is a pretty big test for him. If he gets by this one, he might be the next contender, sort of. More on that when you talk about UFC 295. Uh, let's see. Co-main event, welterweight Gabriel Bonfim and Nicholas Dalby. Double-check which Bonfim this is. Because both of them are fighting on this card, both Gabriel and uh, Ishmael. Um, Gabriel is the undefeated one, 15-0. Two wins in the UFC uh, over Manu Lazez and then Trevin Giles. So, um, Ismail's the one who had the loss. Talk about him in a minute. He's going to come up. Um, it's Dolby. This is a pretty stiff test for Bonfim. Um, Dolby's a durable veteran, been around for a while. Uh, unfortunately for Dalby, again, veteran, 22-4-1, and one, and one no contest, oh, two no contests, excuse me, um, overall UFC record of 6-3, one draw, one no contest. He's on a three-fight winning streak, though, wins over Claudio Silva, Warley Alves, and then Muslim Salikov. My hunch is Bonfim. But he's not getting quite as soft a touch. I hate to say as soft a touch as Ishmael, because Ishmael's fighting a guy who is not a scrub by any stretch of the imagination. But that's that one's that one's a little bit more designed to help Bonfim get back on the winning side of things. This seems more like a deliberate test for Gabriel, and Dalby will provide that. But they also seem like. They also seem like they would like him to win, and he still has to go out there and perform, but they're not giving him a guy who is, like, a very, very bad stylistic matchup. Um, that said, the UFC's website lists Bonfim as a minus 520 favorite. I don't mind picking him, but... 
near four to one on Dolby seems like tempting, uh, tempting bet if you don't mind losing. So I hate giving up betting it. Don't bet following my guidelines. I don't know how good I am at this. I look up the odds for my own curiosity. And occasionally to go, eh, you know, some of the, that seems a little wide. Um, the main event seems a little wide, too, according to the... I don't know who the UFC uses for their odds. Um, but, yeah, like, plus 360 on Derek Lewis is... I don't know. I don't know if it's worth a flyer or not. <laughs> but... That's as my perspective on. I I don't again. I don't mind favoring Almeida. Seems a little wide to me at the moment, but you know that'll probably change over the course of the next week. So you know, who knows? Anyway, next up another heavyweight fight: Rodrigo Nascimento and Dante Mays. Nascimento. Uh, let's see, three one, three and one with a no contest as well, in there for him. Um, he has the loss to Chris Dawkins. That no contest was originally a win for him. Failed drug test. Two split decision wins his last couple of times out. Tanner Bozier and Elio Latifi. Uh, Mays, little bit of a rebound when he beat Andre Arlovsky. Little bit of a surprise there. But he kind of got Arlovsky to fight more the way Mays wanted to fight. Um, how long has, he's actually been with the UFC for a little bit. Um, lost to Cyril Gaon, lost, this is a rematch, he lost to Rodrigo Nascimento back in 2020. One, two, no contest. He lost that no contest originally. Then lost to Augustus Sakai, beat Andre Arlovsky. I don't mind favoring Nascimento here. Uh... May seems to have um, found himself a little bit in the UFC now. He's got his footing under him. Probably won't be as slightly more lopsided as their first fight was, to my me- to my recollection, which is not perfect. But I don't mind picking Nascimento again. Middleweights, Kyle Bahalio and Abus Magomedov. Um, Abus stepping in on somewhat short notice, replacing Nursultan Ruzboyev. Would a, I would not have picked Ruzaboy. As much of a kick as I get out of picking Russians to beat Brazilians, especially in Brazil, because it amuses me, I think pretty highly of Caio Bahalio. And not that I don't think... Ruzboyev is not to be trifled with. But... Bahalio might be the real deal. And... Abus is probably going to have a decent enough first round or so, but... I have no problem favoring Bahalio to win this one. Um, yeah, Bahalio's good, man. He's about the one UFC loss, I think. No, he's 4-0 in the UFC. Hang on, get that stuff out of there. Yeah, his only professional loss was his second fight ever. Had a no contest in there, but... Yeah, his last few fights came into the UFC in a big way, kind of um, beating Godzi uh, Omar Godziev. Decent enough win, but the next three are the big ones. You know, beating Armin Petrosian, 
beating Mahmoud Muradov and then beating Mikhail Oluksejuk, submitting him in the second round. Bahalio has skills. Um, I have no problem picking him to be uh, good old Abus Magomedov. Let's see. Next up, also at middleweight, Adolfo Vieira and I believe the aforementioned Armin Petrosian. So if I'm in Petrosian, I just might... Hang on, I have to confirm this again real fast. It might have been... Yeah, it was Armin Petrosian. Um, decently tough fight for Vieira here. Petrosian, touch up and down in the UFC. Well, he's 3-1. and one. Only lost to Bahalio. Beat Gregory... I kind of thought he... Eh... That win over Gregory Rodriguez was a little suspect. I kind of thought he lost that one. Wins over A.J. Dobson and then Christian uh, Leroy Duncan. Both very legitimate. Um, he's a good striker, but Vieira, I don't think, is going to give him the kind of... This is a close fight. This is quintessentially striker versus grappler. Um... I don't mind... I think I'm going to lean towards Vieira. But... Just a little bit. I mean, Petrosian's diligent about avoiding takedowns. If he can keep distance, keep throwing kicks. Uh, especially at, if he has the distance managed properly. That can be a problem for Vieira. Not going to be shocked... Either guy winning this one. I'm going to lean towards Vieira, though. Um, that's a very close fight, according to the odds. Yeah, the UFC's ones have that at... Like, almost a pick em. Which tracks. That's gonna go, that one's going to go pretty dramatically one way or the other. And kicking off the main card at lightweight, we have Ismail Bonfim and Vince Pichel. Uh, I, I like Pichel, but I don't think I'm going to pick him here. So, Ishmael, one and one, and he had the loss to Benoit Saint-Denis. He came out like, a Ishmael did, broken in a big way when he knocked out Terrence McKinney with that flying knee in January. Great knockout, wonderfully brutal stuff. Didn't have a whole lot for old BSD there. Um, Saint-Denis, then again, Saint-Denis kind of proved that He's, he might have the goods. So, a little bit of a rebound fight for Bonfim here. Pichel is no pushover, but he is also 40. Almost 41. Um, not been the most active guy. In fact, his last fight was April of 2022. Had some injuries. In fact, Pichel was supposed to fight uh, Benoit Saint-Denis back in, uh, on the July card, and Bonfim stepped in for him. Now they've been now those two are squared up here. I'm I'm okay, I'm gonna lean towards Bonfim. Uh, half rooting for Pichel because it will amuse me, but hard to pick against Bonfim. I think I picked him to beat um, Saint-Denis and. Felt very foolish after that, but by the you hit 40 at lightweight and things tend to start going sideways for you, and that's kind of where Pichel is. 
tough guy. Sadly, a career stymied by inactivity and injuries, but because at his best, he's a very solid fighter. Anyway, that's the main card. Prelims, we have Elvis Brenner and Esteban Rybovic. Oh, that's asking for trouble. You might be asking yourself, why is that asking for trouble, Robert? Well, Brenner is Brazilian. 15-3. and What's his UFC? 2-0 and in the UFC. Who's he beaten? Zubaira Tuhugov. Yeah, sort of. But he stopped Guram Kuta Deladze's life. He was losing that fight, too. He came from behind in that one. Um, but Rebovix is Argentinian. He is 12-1 and 1 overall, and there is a long-standing rivalry between Brazil and Argentina. Um, very long-standing. Rebovix, 1-1 one one in the UFC, lost to Loic Radzibov and then beat Kamuela Kirk. Little bit of a setup here, trying to make Brenner look good. Um, especially... He earned he earned some like UFC goodwill with that performance against Kuta Deladze, despite losing the first two rounds and getting carved up by elbows, coming back the way he did. I'm okay, I'm gonna lean towards Brenner, but I just gonna say don't don't sleep too hard on Rebovix there. Um That he's capable of winning this fight, and again, it would amuse me for him to do so. <laughs> Bantamweights Victor Hugo and Daniel Marcos. Uh, let's see. Daniel Marcos, undefeated, 15 and 0, Peruvian, indeed. Recognize the flag. 2 and 0 in the UFC, wins over Simon Oliveira, and then a split decision over Davy Grant. Tough fought fight. Didn't object. I don't think I. I don't recall objecting too much to him winning. Um, I feel like that was one of those that could have gone either way when it was all said and done. Um, but now it fights Victor Hugo, who is 24 and 4. Uh, making his UFC debut. Pretty long winning streak. Last loss was a rib injury he suffered in 2014. Good grief. in a row. That is not easy, and he has not been only fighting scrubs. Yeah. Um, that's gonna make for a potentially good fight here. Just out of curiosity, where do the odds sit on this one? have odds on this? We might not. Um, okay, we... Part of the reason we don't is... Um, oh, wait, no, we do. Sorry. This was a, this was something of a replaced fight. Uh, I think it was originally something else, right? Yeah, this was supposed to be Daniel Santos and Daniel Marcos. Uh, Santos pulled out. In steps Hugo. The odds are leaning toward... Looks like the odds are favoring uh, Marcos for his UFC experience. Mm, I can understand that. I might actually lean Hugo here. I don't care that much. The odds do not inform my pick. 
as you all know, I don't mind picking the upset uh, if I think that's uh, if that's what my analysis, to the extent that I have it in some of these cases, leads to. This will either be a very exciting or a very boring fight, and I, I'm not entirely sure which way that's going to go. I actually think I am going to lean towards Hugo. Um, yeah, could be very wrong. Prepared to eat crow there, but that's where I'm going to lean. Um, welterweights, Elijah Zaleski dos Santos and Renat Fakrandinov. Um... Tough fight for Zaleski Dos Santos. Um, he beat Benoit Saint-Denis, who fights normally at lightweight, back in 21. Missed all of 22. And beat and scored a split decision win over Abubakar Nurmagomedov back in June. You hate a failed drug test. It was a sup contaminated supplement issue. But still wound up sitting out for a bit. Um, yeah, this is a very tough fight for uh, Old Ilizu because Fakretinov or Fakrandinov, um, 21 and 1, only lost his second ever fight, which was part of a one night tournament. So, 20 fight winning streak, including three in the UFC. Uh, his first couple of wins in the UFC were okay. Andres Michalidis, who he just out, who he out wrestled. Brian Battle, who he comprehensively out wrestled and beat up. And then his win over Kevin Lee was super impressive. Didn't let he dropped him with a punch, grabbed a guillotine choke, choked him out in 55 seconds. Big win for him. He's due a step up. This is an appropriate one for him. And. Zaleski Dos Santos, again, 36. A lot of fights. In 30-some-odd. He's been in the UFC for a while. Yeah, since 2015. So, been kicking around for a while. Hadn't lost a whole lot. Uh, Legion Leong, re that loss really hurt him. He had a good winning streak, and then that just ruined it. Uh... Tough fight for uh, Fakretinov, but I think his style will give Zaleski Dos Santos problems. So I'm, I'm going with Fakretinov there. I think pretty highly of his upside. I don't know how far he's going to go. Welterweight is a fairly tough division, but that dude's... He's got, some of, he's got a lot of the goods. A lot of them. All right, light heavyweight Vitor Protino and Modestus Bukowskis. So the Lithuanian Bukowskis... Four-fight winning streak. Just recently returned to the UFC, actually, earlier this year. Um, beat Tyson Pedro in February, then beat Zach Paunga. Paunga, because he's... There's a sound of an end there. There's not one, actually, in the thing. But uh, In June. Pretty active 2023 for him. This will be his third fight. Um, Petrino. Pretty heavy favorite. Uh, I believe he's fought in the UFC before. Hang on. He is 9-0. and Yeah, two wins in the UFC over Anton Turkaili and Marcin Procneo. Anybody else on his winning? I recognize a few of the names. Not 
I'm not sure, like, where, depending on where you go, how, that I would have Petrino as that big a favorite. Bukowskis has a significant experience advantage. But I'm kind of okay leaning towards Petrino, too. Like, I understand favoring him. Women's straw weight, Angela Hill and Denise Gomes. Angela Hill still kind of kicking around. 38 years old. Lost to Mackenzie Derner last time out. Two and, what, four in her last six? Jesus, three and... And is she three and six in her last nine? Okay, two of those, are, a few of those are split decisions. One of them was close. Um, the Michelle Watterson fight, I thought, I scored it for Watterson, but I understood that was close. The Lemos loss was, that was, I was actually pretty close. I, I scored that one for Lemos, but another one that I acknowledged was close. Um, yeah, coming off the loss to Dern. Uh, Gomes, there's a Gomez. Can't remember how she prefers it pronounced. Forgive me. Um, she's coming off a pretty big win. She lost her UFC debut, rebounded by beating Bruna Brazil, and then uh, back at UFC 290, uh, stopped in 20 seconds one of the budding like Mexican fighters that the UFC was half trying to build around in Yasmin Hauregi. Um Gomes getting a pretty big step up here. Angela Hill has been there, done that many times over. Uh, that That's a tough one. That's a real tough one. Hill's a bit hittable. She's got a lot of miles on her. Gomes has power. The problem is, like, if Gomes doesn't cut the cage effectively, if she gets stuck following Hill around, Hill will just tear her to pieces on the outside. Again, man, Hill will brawl if you let her brawl. Hill's cardio is still an issue. Yeah, alright, I'm gonna lean Gomes. But I, I would I would not wager on that fight. <laughs> Featherweight, uh, Lucas Alexander and David Onama. Onama looking pretty good lately. Uh, wait, did we lose that fight? Yeah, it looks like we lost that fight recently. Onama withdrew. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, so let's um, let's see. Next up then would be Monserrat Ruiz and Eduarda Mora. Um, Ruiz, what one and two in the UFC, two fight losing streak to Amanda Lemos and Jacqueline Amorim. That weird win over Cheyenne Blissmas. One of the worst fights of that year. Comical, almost. Um, Morta, I believe this is her UFC debut. 9-0. and Another woman nicknamed Ronda. Can't tell you how much I don't care for that. Yeah, UFC debut coming in here off of a Contender Series win. Mostly first-round finishes. One second round, one decision. Um... I don't know. I've just not been impressed with Ruiz, if I can be honest. Um, I might lean towards Morta. I can find some odds on that. Yeah, most of the odds are pretty heavily favoring Morta, and I'm, I'm going to agree with it. I'm just not impressed with Ruiz. 
Rui's one of those fighters who desperately wishes the UFC had Adam White. I think. But they don't because they don't. And then potentially kicking everything off. I'm not sure if this or the um, uh, straw effect between Moore and Ruiz will uh, be the curtain jerker. Uh, at lightweight, we have Mark Jacquezzi. Boy, how the promising have fallen. And uh, Kawe Fernandez. I don't know how to pronounce that gentleman's first name. I'm going with Kaue for the moment, and if I'm wrong, I apologize. I will do it right after I hear it pronounced, hopefully. Um, Fernandez is 8-1. and one. UFC debut coming in here. Two-fight winning streak. Nothing to be ashamed of. Um, oh, wait. I vaguely remember his last fight. I saw the finish. Um, he, not, he knocked somebody out with a head kick back in March. I remember that circulating a little bit. Um, Jacquezzi, 16 and 7, 7 and 7 in the UFC, two-fight losing streak at the moment, losses to Michael Johnson and Joel Alvarez, Alvarez choked him out, um, this might be do or die for Jacquezzi, like, the UFC had some high hopes for him initially, because he came into the UFC back in 2016, Couple of wins, then losing streak. Couple of wins. Learned how to wrestle. Lost a couple of fights. Won a couple. We might have seen his peak already. Um, it's a tough one. I don't know enough about Fernandez. Again, only eight and one. Tough one, man. You know, there's been a lot of jokes about G- uh, Mark Jacquezzi and, like, turning into a wrestler. Because he, he came to prominence as this, like, devastating striker, sort of. And then when he realized he couldn't quite reliably win that way in the UFC, he just started wrestling people to death. Sort of successfully. That might be a pretty big factor here. I don't know if Fernandez has had to deal with someone who wrestle, who's willing to just wrestle him the whole time. Hmm. Again, this is... I don't mind saying that. I think this is do or die for Jacquezzi. I think if he loses here, he probably gets the boot. I think that'll... That might help him. I don't know. That's a tough... You know what? I'm going to flip a coin. Why not? Heads, Fernandez. Tails, Jacquezzi. Heads. So, all right, Fernandez. I I just don't feel like Jacquezzi is consistent enough. And I don't know enough about Fernandez in kind of a general sense. So, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind flipping the old coin. Maybe that'll be what I can... I've mentioned next year I'm going to keep track of my picks. I might, like, set up a... Uh, spreadsheet or something. I might actually just do it against a coin flip. Where every card, I'll just go down and like, heads, red corner, tails, blue corner, and just flip a coin the whole way down. See how I do against pure random chance. Probably poorly, is my hunch. <laughs> Probably poorly. But that's the card as it currently stands. UFC and ESPN plus 89, Saturday at... Time to the prelim start. 
Prelims will start at 6 p.m. Eastern. Oh, we're going to be here all night. Why are, they, why are they so late? What are they doing this time around? Ah, no, sorry, that's more that's more usual. You know, maybe I've been half-spoiled by the last couple of cards starting a few hours earlier. Anyway. So, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, might... That might actually be more 6.30 now. Again, we lost a fight that's still listed here, so eh, who knows. But I'll have, you, I'll have you covered in the MMAZona411mania.com, per usual. All right. Um, wow, that didn't take all that long at all. Yay. Might get out of here in a reasonable amount of time. So, last night, there was a boxing event. Yesterday afternoon, more than evening. From the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, because the Saudis love throwing money around. Um, only thing I'm going to say about this, maybe one other thing later, but... Um, there's an interesting conversation over on the Morning Combat YouTube channel. Um, one of the hosts of that, Luke Thomas, interviewing investigative journalist uh, Karim Zidane, who's done a ton of work looking at the intersection of politics and sports in general, and especially um, combat sports and its connection to some really disreputable figures. Um, he's the one who's done a lot of talk about and a lot of reporting on some of the human rights violations that have been committed by Ramzan Kadyrov um, and some of the other uh, entities, especially the powerful ones in that part of the world. So, if you want some better information than I can provide you here in a polemic sense, which is all I'd be doing, listen to that interview, follow Karim's stuff, he's very good. One of the few people in the combat sports space doing legitimate journalism instead of whatever the majority of this is. And I don't consider myself a journalist at all. I barely consider myself, I consider myself a member of the media only in the most pedantic and academic sense of things. I'm just a guy with a podcast. So, you want more on that, listen to that conversation. There's some of it that's in there. If you don't want to, I can't tell you what to do with your time. I can only make suggestions. Anyway, boxing. The lineal heavyweight champion of the world in boxing and the WBC heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury, and the lineal UFC heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou, met in a boxing match, and the world, the sporting world wound up in an uproar. Ultimately, Tyson Fury wins a split decision. This immediately had people screaming robbery. And I don't think it was. Let me preface that with the following. I'm not here to shill for the UFC. I am laughing at that old clip of Dana White, who in the wake of Francis leaving said, yeah, he's at that point in his career where he doesn't want to face real challenges. He wants to go somewhere where the competition's lesser. No, he wanted to get paid. And he did. And bless him, when they make a movie about Francis Ngannou's life, they are going to have to dumb it down because no one would believe it. Worked in the sand mines of Cameroon, escaped, traveled up, uh, tried to enter France illegally three different times, and when they catch you trying to cross that border illegally, again, across, uh, like in shipping crates or whatnot, to get from 
What country is that? Is that Morocco? I want to say it's, it's like Morocco or Algeria. Sorry, my specific geography might be a little bit off. But just getting across uh, that little bit of the Mediterranean Sea into France, they don't arrest you. They round everybody up, load them into trucks, drive them out into the desert, drop them off, and then they drive back and you do what you want. Ngannou got dropped off in the desert like three times before he made it over to France. Was homeless, lived in a car in a parking garage, found a boxing gym, trained MMA, made it to the UFC, became champion, dealt with a horrible relationship with his promoter, left on top, giving the, like, moon... I, I had a friend when I worked at a defunct organization, so I don't mind name-dropping it. When I was much younger, um, one of my first, like, almost... was It should have been full-time, but it wasn't, but, you know, got to keep you part-time for legal purposes. Jobs out of high school was... I worked at Kmart, and I was, uh, technically I was in replenishment, I stocked shelves, but if you had that job in that store, that also meant you uh, were responsible for receiving and unloading all the trucks two or three times a week, you're responsible for, again, stocking shelves, helping any customers, getting carts, and sort of janitorial services, if somebody made a mess, they called you guys. So we did a little bit of everything, and I was always morning shift, so I was the one who got to unload the trucks. Yay me. Hated that job. Final straw was when they said start coming in at 4 in the morning, basically. Um, 4 or 5. One of those two. Doesn't matter. Hated it. Friend of mine who... He quit before I did. And when he quit, he moonwalked out of the place. Uh, that's like how Francis left the UFC. Moonwalked out the zoo, out of the door, giving him the double bird the whole way. <laughs> there was all this talk about him fumbling the bag. Now, you know who fumbled the bag on this? Dana White. Francis Ngannou is the, he's the best heavyweight in MMA. I'd be very curious to see him fight John Jones. A fight that could be made tomorrow, but the UFC refuses to co-promote, even if it would be to their benefit. And it would. And you, you let a very lucrative proposition walk because you are... I've said this before about people in power and institutions in power. They will act against their own best interest in order to maintain their position of power. And... Because that's essentially what they believe is of most importance, not actually generating money, but maintaining their power structure, which allows them to generate money, so. It's a philosophy. Don't know if it's a good one. So, here's, and again, leaves the UFC, Francis. Go, has never had a professional boxing match in his life, gets a giant check from the Saudi government to show up and box the lineal heavyweight champion of the world in that discipline holds one of the four recognized belts and is generally considered the best heavyweight of his era is Tyson Fury. And he comes within a... drops him in the third round with a left hook and comes within an eyelash of winning that fight. Dude, that's Rocky. Hey, I was about to say Rocky on steroids, but, you know... 
the Rocky franchise is a time lapse of the efficacy of various performance enhancing drugs. Because Rocky is more ripped in the fourth movie than he is in the first. That's not how that works. <laughs> Naturally. I don't care that Stallone was on stuff. You're a movie star. You're not competing against anybody. Whatever. Do what you're going to do. Don't Genuinely don't care. But this is like the Rocky story amped up to 11. It's not just a down-on-his-luck guy in Philly. This is a put-upon hard luck from the sand mines of Africa to a $20 million check and nearly beating the heavyweight champion of the world. You couldn't write that and sell it. It would be too unbelievable. And that's what happened to Francis Ngannou. I scored this for Fury, full disclosure. But you could score this for Ngannou. You could score it a draw. Like, there's a there's a bunch of those rounds that are just weird. There's a few that are very clear. Ngannou gets a 10-8 in the third. You could argue he won the fourth. Not sh- not sure that's what I thought, but you could argue it. Um, he won the eighth pretty clearly. Unfortunately for Ngannou, he kind of, I don't know if his cardio let him down or what, but he kind of let his foot off the gas in rounds nine and ten. Unfortunate because had he won one of those rounds more decisively, he could have won this fight. It was on the table for him. Um, I'm not here to tell anyone who scored it for Francis that they're wrong. Like I said, I, I am sympathetic to your arguments. It's not what I saw. I don't pretend that I saw everything. And... But I'm... Everyone naturally came out and said, robbery, boxing stands to lose too much if Francis win this fight because it'll screw up the fight between Fury and Alexander Usyk, which should unify the heavyweight, the four main heavyweight title, four main titles at heavyweight. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. Boxing is boxing in that respect. I am saying... I... I've seen really bad scorecards in boxing lately. I don't think this was a really bad scorecard. I mean, like, prior to this one, the last boxing event that Mark and I sat down and did a commentary for, I came in late, but it was it was the Zerto fight, and, like, two of the judges had him winning that, like, I think nine rounds to one or something stupid. And I'm, I'm not saying that Zerto didn't win the fight. I think I scored it for him, if memory serves, what I saw, at least. But... Some of the scorecards in particular, you wind up just shaking your head like, what are we doing here? Just what are we doing here? I don't think that's what we got here. I think we had a close fight that was very awkward at times. And consequently, you could make an argument for either guy. In all honesty, a draw might have been the more accurate representation of the fight all things considered. But, this was, I'm not going to talk about the, here's the only thing I'm going to say about the technique, and kind of what happened. I don't think Fury took this fight as seriously as he needed to. 
He was in better shape than Nganu. Clearly, he's much more used to the boxing rhythm. Cardio is a weird thing because your cardio is sort of content. There's a general baseline level of cardio. Then there's cardio specific to the activity you're taking. Wrestling cardio is not the same as marathon cardio at all. Both are extremely hard on your cardiovascular system. Very, very different ways. MMA and boxing are hard on the cardio system, but three-minute rounds versus five-minute rounds is a big difference. And Nganu held up law for quite a while. If this had been a 12-round fight instead of 10, I think this would have got worse for him down the stretch, just a hunch. But for the 10 rounds he was prepared for, he fought ably and arguably won. It's a heck of a thing. So the WBC said that um, Nganu would be ranked after this performance. I'm not even saying that's wrong. I think this, they were going to slot him in at number 10. Um, here's the big question if you're Francis Ngannou. And this is only sort of a question, but hear me out. He is technically signed with the PFL. I don't know that he ever fights for the PFL. If he can get another... He not only got a giant check for this, $20 million as just his part of the purse. To say nothing of any site fee he might have gotten, sponsorship deals he might have had, if he got a chunk of the pay-per-view, depending on how well that, like, whatever. He made more for this fight than his entire UFC run combined. I have no issue saying that, and if you are one of these, there's a bunch of poor saps out here in the wake of this, crying that, no, he would have made more if he fought John. No, the offer to fight John was was like, he would have had a bigger pay bump for the John Jones fight, not for what came next. He got more for this than the rest, his entire run in the UFC. A, no question about it from where I sit. Okay. If he can negotiate another pretty big boxing fight, and if he's a ranked heavyweight, that's possible. A lot of people in the wake of this were saying they want to see him box Deontay Wilder. Two powerful guys, two of the most destructive punchers in the in the sport. Um, if that fight can materialize, yeah, he's not going to take an MMA fight between now and then. He's going to box Deontay Wilder for a lot of money. And you know what? Dude, Francis is winning at life. He just is. And I don't I don't begrudge him that one iota. I don't know what a fight with him and Wilder looks like. They're both unrefined boxers. They both hit like trucks. You know what? Bring it on. <laughs> Why not? Because if he beats Wilder, not a given, but if he does, that does set up a rematch with Fury. Assuming Fury beats Usyk, there's, and I don't know. Like We still have to see Fury and Usyk, which got pushed back a little bit in the wake of this. There had been talk that it would be December 23rd uh, in Riyadh, but 
news came out today, like that's been pushed. They're still looking to do it as part of what are they calling under that? They're calling it Riyadh season. This period of months that would I forget exactly. It started like last month and then will end in March. So we're we're probably getting Fury and Usyk February March. Assuming nothing else crazy happens between now and then, and who the heck knows. But if Fury wins that fight, not a given, but if he does, and Nganu wins a fight against, you know, a Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz, you know, something like that, Fury might have to rematch Usyk, because a lot of these fights come with uh, rematch clauses for either party, especially champion versus champion fights. But it's the long and the short of it is it's not at all outside the realm of possibility that those two rematch and every bit of boxing heavyweight gold is on the line. Um, the only thing I want to mention about the technique that went into this fight, um, Fury is used to being the bigger man. He's the bigger man here, but he's good about making fights ugly. He's good about clinching and about leaning on you and wearing on you and making it ugly in that respect. He's very good at that, and it has worn down and brutalized a lot of lesser fighters. I think he just assumed he could do that and didn't really consider that Francis Ngannou has done a lot of clinch fighting and a lot of wrestling in those contexts unto themselves, not just in the boxing sense. Ngannou was very good about clinch breaking. He was going for a double collar tie, framing on the inside, Throwing uppercuts on occasion out of there, but just not letting Fury really tie him up and lean on him. Good about again, framing, spinning, breaking as quick as possible. Some good stuff from Ngadu in that respect. I just ultimately think he had a little bit too low an output. And and the way he fought rounds ten and rounds nine and ten just kind of came back to bite him a little bit. If those two rematch over 12 rounds, man, you give Nganu more time to get used to just boxing, he's going to be scary. He's just going to be a scary guy. That's what it is. <coughs> so, anyway, that happened over the weekend. I was not especially entertained by the fight, but I'm me. So, other people were. I definitely applaud the effort from Francis Ngannou. Fury is getting savaged by boxing Twitter, especially. All I'm going to say about that is the following. If this version of him shows up to fight Alexander Usyk, he's going to lose. I don't expect that he would fight Usyk this way. He's a smart fighter most of the time. But... Not exactly a stellar showing out of the best heavyweight boxer in the world at the moment, depending on who you... According to some, and I I tend to actually kind of agree with that sentiment. Um, Fury pretty seriously underperformed, Francis overperformed, and we got what we got. I don't think a rematch between the two of them would look at all like this, which is not to say that Francis couldn't win it. I just don't think it would look like this one, which actually does make it attractive in some respect. So there we are. Nothing but love to Francis. Bless you. Get paid. You want to keep boxing? Keep boxing. Make as much money as you can. 
This is a short life, uh, just loosely related to fighter pay since I brought it up. So Sean Strickland, I think it was an interview where he wrote something where he just kind of mentioned like, yeah, a lot of fighters, this sucks. You come in, you you know, work hard to get to the UFC. You come in in 10 and 10. Let's say you go like two and two and your fights aren't great and the UFC cuts you. Suddenly you're, you know, 25, 26 and the UFC said, no, thank you. And your career amounted to what? 60 ish grand before taxes. Now you got to figure out something to do with the rest of your life. Maybe you can earn your way back, but that's actually kind of rare. Not impossible, just on the rarer side. And that's the brutal reality of fighting. Of the fight game. It is it is brutal. And now there's people out there saying that Sean Strickland doesn't know what he's talking about. Citing fake pay sites or guess aggregate places. It's beyond pathetic. Like, I don't mind giving the UFC their props when they deserve it. I really don't. But the, like, weird homerism for the UFC is, it's a little off-putting. Just throwing it out there. A little off-putting. Oh, I mean, that was the weekend that was. Uh, let's talk news. So, big news. UFC 295 got a major shake-up. We were supposed to get a main event of John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. What was probably the last fight for both men. I think people from both sets of camps had kind of been intimating at it. Stipe's 42, I think, 41-42. And hasn't has been out of action. Dude, he was out of action for a while before he fought Francis the second time. Francis pounded his head into the canvas. He's been out of action for a couple of years since then. Um... And you just do just miles. Steve has been in the UFC for a while too, so might have been his last fight, win, lose, or draw. The John Jones camp was not so subtly hitting, hinting that if he had, you know, come back from his layoff, moved up to heavyweight, won the title, and then beats the most successful UFC heavyweight champion of all time, and that's what Steve Miocic still is. Like, what else is there left to do? In a lot of ways. He might have been done. Well, we got... That fight is no longer happening. It has been postponed because John Jones tore his pec. Um, there's video of it, actually. He's just doing some wrestling practice. Tore his pec. I believe very similarly to... If you follow professional wrestling, you'll recall... Um, last year when Cody Rhodes had, I think, the same injury. Um, Got to get surgery. Eight months or so recovery window. Factor in a few more months to you can actually get back into fighting shape. And We're probably looking at if... Because Steve Miocic is no longer on UFC 295. According to him, they never offered him to fight. There was a replacement fighter for this fight. I mentioned before when we talked about this, Sergei Pavlovich. According to Stipe, they never even offered him that fight. UFC said a different thing when they called Tom Aspinall to step in on, what, two-ish weeks notice? 
two and a half, three maybe, to sub in and now fight uh, against Sergei Pavlovich for the interim heavyweight title. Um, my hunch is to believe Stipe's version of events here. Stipe is... Stipe is a very straightforward guy. Uh, by all accounts, by everything that I've... Everything of his I've ever read or seen, he's a very straightforward guy. If he says the UFC never offered him the fight because they want him and John, I don't have a lot of reason to disbelieve him. And it makes sense because, again, if both those guys are looking at retiring, if John's only interested in a legacy fight, and that's what Stipe is, why would you risk that? Because if Stipe fights Pavlovich and loses, very possible then you've lost that fight, you might lose John's interest, and John might just walk. Like, you would be risking a lot for no substantial gain. So I understand it. Um, so again, we'll be looking at when John and Stipe can get rebooked, assuming John's timetable of recovery, assuming nothing happens to Stipe between now and then. Side note, Stipe Miocic apparently launched an OnlyFans which is usually reserved for pornographic material. I don't expect he'll be posting much of that. Um, but some fighters have dabbled in this area because the rev split is with the people who own OnlyFans is better than what they get in the UFC. I don't I don't remember exactly how close it is to 50/50. A, a good chunk of the money generated by this platform goes to the people running the platform, but the creators do get a non-trivial chunk of it. Again, it might vary depending on, like, person to person. One imagines that bigger accounts and bigger personalities can command a little bit more percentage, but that's just a hunch on my part. Anyway, like a lot of female fighters have dabbled in this space for with, you know, varying degrees of success and uh, to be blunt, I am one of those people who thinks the world would be better off without pornography. Call me a prude if you wish. I am not passing judgment on you. I'm saying the world would be better off without it. But I don't Stipe and other fighters, again, kind of dabbling in this space, not for anything necessarily erotic, but for purely, like, technical stuff in some respects, or updates, or I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm... If any of you out there listening to this are subscribed to Stipe Miocic's OnlyFans, I would be curious to know what types of stuff he's putting out there, if just for academic curiosity. Um, which is, that is one of the weirdest sentences I have ever uttered. Ever. So there's that. Anyway, I mentioned already, now stepping into the co-main event position will be Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall for the interim title. This will become the real title. John and Stipe fight when they fight, assuming they fight. My hunch is they both walk off into the sunset. Whoever wins this gets promoted. That's just kind of how this goes. 
Um, your new main event was the previous co-main event for the vacant light heavyweight title, Yuri Prohachka and Alex Pereira. Still a great fight. Gonna be wild. Can't wait for the double DQ. <laughs> that, again, man, that Belton division is just cursed. Weirdness is going to happen in this fight. I don't know if it'll be before the fight, during the fight, or in the immediate aftermath of the fight, but something crazy is going to happen. I still think those two wild men are going to do violence to each other, and that always makes me happy. So, there's that. Um, yeah, 295 upended a little bit there. Aspinall, if he pulls this off, I don't know what to think about Aspinall and Pavlovich. On a full camp, I would favor Aspinall. He's a bit more dynamic. Um, yeah, and that's a problem. But, dude, Pavlovich, that man will hurt you. He's got sledgehammers at the end of his arms, man. On short notice, I don't know how to feel about this one. I'm going to have to look at some of each of their fights and see if I can kind of hash that out. In full camp, Aspinall, and I'm okay saying that. Short notice, not as sure. It is, there's a lot of people doing the, this is actually a better fight thing. If you're ask, if all you mean by that is, these are like two of the best heavyweights in the world right now, and they're two guys who are likely to be around for longer... I agree that's objectively true. This is, given the short notice to me, I am not as interested in this as I was in Jones and Stipe. There's none of the emotional attachment for this fight that might have had Jones and Stipe, and there's none of the box office draw that Jones and Stipe had. Dude, the cheapest seats at UFC 295, the nosebleeds of Madison Square Garden, were a thousand bucks. You might, if you can get a, if you wanted to see John and Stipe, if that's the only reason you bought those tickets, you will not be able to resell them for a profit. I might see if I get a refund, personally. Because, not that Pavlovich and Aspinall is a bad fight, in some respects it's better, but... It's not, there's no, like, angle to it the way you had for Jones and Stipe, and that's just reality. Because I tend to be here for the, again, I'm here for all the fights, so. I'm not complaining about Pavlovich and Aspinall. I'd wish it was under better circumstances. In fact, in the wake of this news, uh, like, Alexander Volkanovsky jokingly took to Twitter and said, I volunteer, uh, I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> Um, bless him, he seems to be recovering uh, after the loss to Makashev. His sense of humor is still intact. Um, yeah, so that's UFC 295. A couple of quick notes here, and then we will be done. Um, so let's do a quick update on Kamzat Shemaev, the presumptive number one contender at middleweight. He thought he broke his hand in the fight with Kamaru Usman. His manager took to somewhere. I forget what, so, what outlet or social media platform, but mentioned, no, no break. Torn ligament. Ouch. Looks like you'll just have to wear a brace for, I think they said a month. And then he should be okay, assuming that doesn't worsen or there's no complications. 
he still can't travel to the U.S., Kamzat Shemaev. So if he's going to fight for the belt, it would have to be on, like, the next Saudi Arabia card, which is, I want to say, March for the UFC. They announced that far out. I will check. Yeah, March 2nd. Um, you know, honestly, it wouldn't... If I'm Sean Strickland, I might just say, no, I'm not fighting Saudi Arabia. <laughs> just, to, just to complicate the UFC's plans. But I'm me, and he's him, so he'll do whatever he thinks is best. I still don't like that fight. So, but that's just me. Other people are interested, and it takes all kinds. All right, last bit of news here before I check Twitter, and then we get out of here. So the UFC has a new alcohol sponsor. Bud Light is back to sponsoring the UFC in a deal that's reportedly worth, what, eight or nine figures? I would hazard a guess at least eight. So minimum $10 million. Um, some, my, again, I, my hunch is probably that's closer to nine, depending on how long the deal's for. Um, okay, a couple of things to do here. One... Of note, Modelo and Bud Light and Budweiser, they're both owned by Anheuser-Busch. This is a lateral move in that respect. Two, I am comically amused by the Bud Light people going, Oh, crap! We made a catastrophic error in judgment. Um, okay. I'm going to state the following... As a statement of fact, please do not read into this as me being overly judgment. Uh, don't read into this too much about my personal view of the world, okay? As a statement of fact, Bud Light signed some kind of promotional deal with a social media influencer named Dylan Mulvaney, who is transsexual. And this predictably blew up in their faces. Their product was not selling. Their stock went down. It was a disaster for them. An utter catastrophe. It damaged their brand horribly. Now... I'm of the opinion that you're all better off not drinking. The alcohol is something that, at this point in time, the world is better off without. My opinion, you don't have to agree with me, and I'm not passing judgment on you unless you're a stupid blackout drunk, especially a drunk driver. Then, yes, I judge you. Um, don't drink and drive. Pretty easy. If you enjoy the occasional alcoholic beverage, I, again, I think you're better off without it. Full stop. So, watching, the point there being, like, watching Bud Light tank in some respects, like, I don't, if it stops you drinking, I don't care. Like, just don't drink. You're better off without it. But, to the people, like, involved in Bud Light, this was, again, a catastrophe. Because, hey, let's pander to elements of social media that have an outsized voice and don't actually consume our product and piss off more than 50% of our of our consumer base in the process. 
whether that's a whether that's right or wrong in terms of the market reaction, I make no comment on. Um, you know what? Here's the only comment I'm going to make on this. I find in the wake of this, there were a handful of like TikToks or YouTube shorts or whatever the stupid thing is of Mulvaney's that kind of that wound up like floating across my timeline because it permeated everything for a handful of weeks. I find Dylan Mulvaney to be utterly unbearable as a personnel as an internet personality. That's all I'm saying on that. You might feel differently. Godspeed. Whatever. I don't drink Bud Light. I'm never going to drink Bud Light. I'm never going to drink any alcohol. So this matters to me not at all. It amuses me that their reaction to this catastrophe, and that's exactly what it was, was, huh, what can we do? Well, how about we go back to the Monopoly? Because that's what the UFC is. Or Monopsony. They're a monopolistic practice. Let's use more, slightly more vague language. That has a fan base that we lost and a fan base that will do basically whatever the UFC says, regardless of what we've done before. And this will kind of smooth things over. That's what they're doing. Whether or not it'll work, I don't know. Um, my hunch is a lot of the people that became disaffected with this particular alcoholic beverage aren't going to be swayed back by their association with the UFC. Some might, and, you know, there were... Because there were people who, like, oh, no, Bud Light now signed with the UFC. We should boycott the UFC and you know, continue boycotting Bud Light. Like, again, don't drink. You're better off without it. Watch MMA. Don't watch MMA. I don't care. But, you know, the, then, you know, there was something of a question about, like, is this a sellout move? And at which point I have to ask, like, why are you asking this dumb question? Of course it is. It's about money. The UFC's goal is to make money and preserve their mar and preserve their ridiculous market power. In fact, they will, again, cut off their nose and spite their face because the theory is long term. The position of power they enjoy actually facilitates more money or mitig or rather even if it doesn't facilitate more money, prevents the erosion of their market dominance, which would lead to serious problems. So, Anyway, of course it's about money. The UFC likes to get paid. You know my big gripe about this? It's that eight, nine-figure deal. Probably nine. Um, you know how much of that is going to the fighters? Big ol' zero. Not a red cent. Because that's how this game works. And that disgusts me more than anything. So, you're going to see the Bud Light logo back on there. And you know what? Anybody that wants to get more mileage out of Brock Lesnar, throw that clip up of him saying, I'm going to go drink a Coors Light because Bud Light won't pay me nothing because they're not paying the fighters a darn thing. Brock Lesnar. Voice of the people. <laughs>
I don't know. Uh, voice of the fighters, if nothing else in that respect, when it comes to this. So, yeah. Once again, the uh, the Bud Light logo will not, in fact, entice me to consume alcohol. So, uh, whatever. It's just another garish thing the UFC can plaster on the canvas, get paid themselves, and then pretend that they don't want fighters to have banners or sponsors on their shorts because they don't want to look like NASCAR. Meanwhile, the canvas and the decoration for the octagon looks like a minor league baseball outfield. You hypocrites. At least have the integrity to be honest about it. Of course, they won't because it sounds way too bad. It's yeah. The truth in this case just burns too much. They can't do it. Anywho, that's a bit of news. Uh, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do uh, plugs and we will get out of here. Alright, nothing new on Twitter in the MMA space, so plugs. Last week, myself and Mark Radulich got together to review Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, one of our few movie review podcasts that with a shorter runtime than the film we were reviewing. <laughs> oh, three and a half hours was a pretty big ask. Um, really good movie, though, in a lot of respects. So anyway... Uh, give that a listen if you're so inclined. I also participated in a TV party for the latest Mike Flanagan project over at Netflix, um, The Fall of the House of Usher, an eight-episode miniseries. Myself, Alexis Haina, Jason Teasley, and Dorian Price all got together to talk about that. A good time was had. Give those a listen over on the W2M Network podcast feed, anywhere you listen to podcasts, if you want to watch live on YouTube, Twitch, and... Facebook, technically Twitter. So, there's those places you can watch us live if you're so inclined. Uh, also, regarding the Fury and Nganu fight, Mark Radlich and I did live commentary for it. Such as it was. We had a pretty decent time. Uh, this week, Damn You Hollywood will be on Wednesday, because of scheduling issues. We will be reviewing the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, so... Tune in for that. I haven't seen it yet, but of course I will before the actual review, because I'm a professional. Um, that's going to be actually the same four. Um, me, Alexis, Jason, and Dorian. If something happens to one of the four of us, I imagine Mark will be able and willing to step in. But at the moment, he's on uh, backup duty for that one, because five people on a podcast is... Four is kind of the limit. Five is when things fall apart a little bit, so... Um, that's what I've got coming up. In addition to my usual spate of coverage for wrestling, uh, professional wrestling, that is, and mixed martial arts over at 411mania.com. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC event this Saturday, and a very happy Halloween, by the way, to those of you who will be listening uh, before you celebrate. And next week, we will be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 89, preview UFC 295, and talk about all the news as usual. So that's it for me this week. Thank you all very, very much as always. I appreciate each and every one of you. I don't have the biggest audience in the world, but you know what? I'll take it. I'll take you guys um, pretty much all the time. So thank you. See you next week. Until then, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.